Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Before we start the show, we'd like to bring your attention to some cool conferences happening in Europe. Specifically, NDC London coming right up January 16th to 20th at the Excel Center in London. Right, and all the usual suspects will be there, and hey, they even let us in. <laughs> but don't hold that against them. Yeah. Hey, Richard, you're speaking about the Humanitarian Toolbox, right? Yes, I'll be hosting a two-day HTBox Codathon, January 16th and 17th, that's the workshop days, and then the keynote on Wednesday morning. Awesome. I'm going to be doing a lightning talk on the ketogenic lifestyle. We'll also be doing a live panel show like we always do. And of course, we'll be in the fishbowl making more great .NET Rock shows for your listening pleasure. So go to ndc-london.com and register now. And for more great NDC conferences, go to ndcconferences.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1389, with guest Glenn Block. Recorded Thursday, December 1st, 2016. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And Glenn Block is here. We're going to be talking serverless computing in just a few minutes. But uh, first, how are you doing, buddy? I am well. You know, we're getting that first real cold spell. It's always a balancing act in Vancouver. Is it raining and relatively warm? Or is it freezing and no clouds in the sky? So I think uh, all the weather went to you because we've got some serious high pressure here in on the east coast it's like spring today nice yeah. it's december 1st and it's like go. spring where yeah. we've had crappy weather for the last couple of days no no we just rain 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 and now it's cleared off and it's gone freezing it's all icy and stuff but no no snow never a dull moment never dull. <laughs> i'm nothing to complain about really you know what indoor heating rocks yeah it's true it's <laughs> here for civilization there all right well, speaking of civilization uh a call back to our first show we did on on uh, self-driving cars Roll the music. All right, dude, what do you got? Call back to show 900. That's really something. That's right. And every once in a while, when I hear people talk about Uber and I hear people talk about self-driving cars and also the idea that uh, delivery trucks will be first, I think to myself, yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure Richard and I talked about that like years ago. And that was exactly what we were saying, too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's not what this is. This is uh, show 1389, so go to 1389.pwop.me. This is an article from Engadget, and the story is, Geohot open sources his semi-autonomous car technology. Comma.ai's self-driving software is now accessible to anyone who can read the code. Nice. And and let me just read this. It, it, don't think that you're just going to download some stuff and put it into your Toyota Celica, and then everything's going to be fine. So here's here's the story. George Geohot Hotz's semi-autonomous driving add-on, comma, one, didn't work out as planned. However, that doesn't mean the underlying technology will never see the light of day. Far from it. The comma.ai team has published the source code for both its open pilot self-driving technology and its Neo, NEO robotics platform. You'll need hardware to use this for its originally intended purpose, but anyone who has a grasp of the programming languages involved can use the code for whatever projects they like. While you probably won't see homebrew self-driving cars emerge from this, the law would have something to say about that. You probably don't want that to be no. seen, let's be clear. Well, but he goes on to say, don't be surprised if some of the technology finds its way into commercial projects. So I just thought that was a really pretty cool thing that somebody's working on self-driving cars and decides to open source the the core technology. Well, I mean, it sounds like it's sort of a failed startup. Yeah, that's and exactly rather than, what it sounds like. And then walk away with their stuff, they just said, here, anybody want it? Knock yourself out. Yeah, that's that's exactly what what, uh, what it is. And I guess there was legal stuff there. So uh, yeah. there's a story that's linked uh, also on Engadget where GeoHot canceled his self-driving add-on amid legal scrutiny. It isn't worth it, he tweets. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, it's you know, there is an interesting legal side, especially to autonomous vehicles. Uh, I was at a lecture Google. last night by an architect talking about changing urban landscapes because of autonomous vehicles. Wow. And it's really interesting. He was really focused on parking. Not only yeah. was it just a general decrease in parking, but also that 
automated cars will go into parking spaces that humans would never park in. So right. it's like expect an elimination of street parking because street parking is a feature that humans like and automated cars don't care about. They don't care. They'll go around the corner to a lot or just go back where they came from. Right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was very interesting to talk, just talk about how those things will change the way our cities look. Can you imagine a big commuter lot where there's like half autonomous vehicles and half people trying to fit into spaces and and i wonder if you have those jerk autonomous vehicles that just like you know you're looking for a space and then they get right in there before you get a chance to and there's nobody to yell at nope. you know so no, no point yelling at it. it's not gonna work so maybe psychologist bills will go up you know i don't know all right anyway that's what i got who's talking cool. to us richard uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1362, which we did back in October 2016, with Ben Godwin. We were talking about serverless architectures. Right. Uh, spawned a ton of conversation. This particular comment I really enjoyed from Rune Jewel Peterson, who said, A very good episode. I'm glad to see that serverless architecture is catching on. Although it's been around for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, a cloud platform that .NET Rocks has very little to do with is the Google App Engine, GAE. Mm. And now maybe it's time. Uh, it is, after all, a serverless platform that's been running since 2008. Yes, yeah. just not particularly .NET friendly, mm -hmm. uh, but maybe it will be someday. They seem to be more .NET friendly lately, don't they? They do. Uh, and Rune goes on to say, I often revert back to GAE because of its simplicity in use and the way the scaling works, allowing my apps to scale from zero to as much as you need. Mm. Uh, cloud services such as data store, memcaching queues is not something you have to provision for, but they're just always available to your app. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, cool. Absolutely. I like that. We got to do a show on that. We should do more shows on there. Yeah. I agree. We, we talked about Google Cloud and then coming to .NET and so forth. It's interesting to see if GAE actually has .NET support as well. But you can always work in Python or JavaScript, whatever makes you happy. Yeah. And then we'll do a show on Azure Functions, which is overdue. Yep. Well, yep. there's so many ways to talk about going serverless. Yeah. So, Rune, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. When you get ours, they'll be uh, contentless. How's that? <laughs> well, maybe yours. <laughs> All right. Well, let's bring Glenn Block back to the show. Glenn is Director of Product Management at Auth0 for WebTask, the serverless development platform. Glenn's been coding professionally for almost 30 years now, during which he has held various technology leadership-related roles. Glenn's an active supporter of the developer community, an organizer of community events, an international speaker worldwide, and an O'Reilly author. He's creator and maintainer of ScriptCS, an OSS tool for C-sharp scripting, which we've talked about on the show before with Glenn. Uh, Glenn is also an advocate for making STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, appealing to young girls, and is a JewelBots OSS advisor. We'll hear more about that. When not at work, Glenn lives with his wife, daughter, and two guinea pigs in Seattle, where caffeine and rain are plenty. You can also find him tweeting into the night as at Glenn Block. Also... One thing you didn't add is your web API chops, my friend. This is true. You know, I've, I've, a I've, thing I've had a web API. You, you had something to yeah, do with so it? Yes, I, I had something to do with that and Node uh, on Azure and a, a few other things. I, I, I kind of reached a point where there's, you know, I've, I've jumped around a lot. So it's, yeah. I can't say I've done like one thing in my career. Do you feel so guilty kinda, writing out these bios that have all these accomplishments? And you're like, ah, oh, geez, it sounds like I'm just like, you know. But come on, I mean, you deserve the accolades because Web API. Come on, man. Yeah, it's done. It's done pretty well, um, yeah. and it, it it lives it lives on, and nobody's uh, compared it to WCF. So that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not going to start though, now, even though even though it had its roots, I was hired to work on the service model team. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves, yeah. but. Uh, Always Is that ahead great. of ourselves or behind ourselves? I mean, that's that's some old school storytelling there. Yeah, really. <laughs> really. But well, yeah, yes, I was I was officially hired to work on what was then called WCF HTTP. Right. Um, and as soon as I joined, I I started to look at every different way I could dismantle right. the soap part of the stack so we could have an HTTP stack. And I would have liked to have been in that meeting where you said, no, 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 you're doing it all wrong. Do it this way. 
and just see what everybody says, you know? You know, it was fun, but I I, I had the help of, you know, Henrik Nielsen, who's yeah. one of the authors of HTTP. Yeah. So that, uh, he well, also is one of the authors of, uh, part of the soap spec. So, right. you know, we, we would always give him a lot of crap about that. He had some cred. He got, he got one right. No, <laughs> <laughs> Henrik, Henrik, Henrik will always say that, you know, soap didn't get used the way it was intended to. Yeah. Like the ideas they had and, and, and how it would be used and, and versus how vendors got on top of it and where it went are, are two, two different things. It was a good stepping stone. But 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 nobody can debate that one of them did really really well. Yeah, that's tr- that's <laughs> yeah. true. Had Everybody, a little impact, and it was Web API. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> no, no, but he was the architect, so it wouldn't have happened without you know. And that was um, that's one of the things I miss about Microsoft. I got to work with some fantastic. Pe- not to say that I don't work with great people now, but yeah. you know, I got I got to work with some individuals that really I had no business being in the same room with them. I mean, they, they have done foundational impacts across the industry. Um, and that was, um, that was an amazing part of being at Microsoft. Yeah. No, it is, uh, astonishing the talent in the room. Some days, you know, you walk in and you're like, there's the guy who invented that, and there's a guy who invented that, and there's a guy who invented that. It's, it's yeah. stunning. Okay, I, I got a story now about that. It's a pretty <laughs> humbling story. So okay. I've, I, I don't think I've told this on the show before, but this is a great example of that. So I'm, I'm on. I, I go to my first uh, TechEd Europe event. Um, actually, it's my second one. This is when I was in the Patterns and Practices team, one of the many millions of things I worked on. And uh, I'm sitting on the bus with this guy. His name is Don. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hi, how do you do? I'm I'm Glenn, uh, Glenn Block, and and he's like, oh, my name is Don Syme. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so he's like, well, what do you do? I'm like, oh, well, I work on this patterns and practices thing. We're we're, we're creating this new guidance thing called Prism. It's kind of cool. Helps mm. people build these composite apps. <laughs> I'm like, what do you do? He's like, well, I created this thing called Generics and, uh, <laughs> and, and <laughs> I've got this other thing I'm working on. I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're very similar. I get, I, yeah. <laughs> Great time. We're we're similar in that we're sitting next to each other on the same bus (laughs) and we both write code. Similarity ends at that point, but you know, felt good for a minute. Mm. Yeah, you never want to pretend for a moment you're the smartest guy in the room when you're hanging around that crowd. Holy man. (laughs) That is a tough, tough thing to even think. All right, so we gotta talk web task. Thirteen minutes. What is this thing? Well, you were talking a lot about serverless in the comments. Yep. So, you know, web, web tech, you know, and I, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding still around what serverless is. Even when you were giving some of the descriptions, like I wouldn't describe Heroku as serverless. Interesting. Uh, it's not about pointing the finger. It's just that, you know, serverless is really about going one level of abstraction up from an application where you're not even really thinking about the notion of an app. You're just thinking about, um, you know, small units of code that do very specific things and that can scale up on demand when they need to, that you don't have to do a lot of management for. That's really what this whole serverless thing is about, is getting people away from having to think about, I need to, like, deploy an app or a server. So although there have been... Uh, other things happening in the industry that have led toward this, I think the newer breed of things that we're seeing share some very common characteristics, which is very little configuration, very fine-grained in terms of the units mm. of deployment, units of scale. Um, so I think it's uh, it's a it's a really exciting time. Yeah, when I seeing th- everything going on. When I think about what um, a server, or if you will, an app, you know, a web app brings to the table, it's really just sort of a, a point of identification and a context with configuration uh, under which a whole bunch of services get accessed, right? And the namespacing, of course. And it tends to be a unit of deployment right? as well, uh, a unit of scale. That's a huge difference, right? So imagine we take the example of, uh, let's say I was taking Heroku or I was taking an Azure website and I've got you know five different APIs on that website. Mm. Well, when I scale, I'm scaling all those five APIs. 
Whereas the idea in a serverless world is, you know, I have one that's hit all of the time uh, that is high load. That function is going to use up the resources it needs to support those requests that are happening. But another one that is only getting hit once in a while is not really going to be taking up any resource. So I think that's that's a fundamental difference Mm. that uh, you get once you break away from that larger deployment container um, that, uh, that you get when you're, you know, when you're dealing with applications, that's, that's anyway, my take on it. So web, web task is a technology that was developed at odd zero, uh, not just because we could, but to solve a real problem. It was actually built as part of odd zero's identity solution. So for those of you that are not familiar with odd zero as a company, um, we deliver an identity product that makes it really easy for developers to build applications that are secure, that can integrate with all different kinds of identity providers, uh, support single sign on. Mm. We support a lot of customization and as part of that customization. So we have rules that have to run in odd zero, um, you know, like when a user goes to log in as a tenant in Auth0, I mean, you have your own Auth0 uh, deployment, so to speak, which is running, could be running in a multi-tenant environment in our cloud, uh, which runs in AWS, or it could be running uh, in your own environment or even on-prem. Mm. Um, when that user logs in, there's custom logic that needs to run. And that logic needs to run very, very quickly because it can actually make determinations of whether or not the user is even allowed to log in. And so to support this, Auth0 needed to have an ability to run uh, untrusted code in an isolated and really scalable manner. Mm. Now, one way that that tends to get handled nowadays is through webhooks. And um, Tomas Janshuk, who I know has been on the show multiple times, uh, otherwise nicknamed as Tomic, um, right. uh, who is the chief architect and author of WebTask, you oh, know, initially cool. looked at the fact that, hey, there's this webhooks model. GitHub uses webhooks. And, you know, I can just basically like say, hey, if you want to extend Auth0, just give us a server and, you know, we'll invoke you and that'll be it. Mm. But that pushes a lot of burden on customers that they have to go set that infrastructure up. And there's also latency concerns because of the fact that this code is running in a very hot path. Like you want to piss off users, make login happen slowly. That's like one of the quickest ways to drive people away from your service as if login is slow. So we needed a solution that could run really, really fast, but that would allow this untrusted code to execute. And that was how we fell into and, and Tomek, who's done a ton of work around Node.js and, um, you know, Edge and worked on a lot of Microsoft's story around supporting Node and Azure, felt that Node was a very lightweight platform that could do this, uh, that could provide this kind of easy experience for spinning up this uh, compute that needs to run on, on demand. Um, and JavaScript is a very scripty, you know, it's a, it's a script language. So it also lended itself to say that, hey, if we want to provide something that like any customer can write simple business rules, well, JavaScript is pretty approachable for them to be able to do that. So as a result, WebTask was built as a solution to provide that ability for customers to write those rules. And it needed, it had a couple of different characteristics than I think a lot of the other serverless platforms that are out there, because of the fact that it had to run in this hot path, startup mm. latency was really critical. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if you look at a lot of the serverless options that are out there, you'll see if you like look on the web and you mine, there's, there's this initial hit the first time because things are sleeping. Right. And, you know, suddenly when they get hit, they wake up. And when they wake up, there's, you know, zero to whatever startup cost mm. that you then don't pay for future requests. Right. Well, WebTask, actually, this was a critical thing that WebTask really needed to address. So that's one thing I would say that's different about it is it, it is really designed so that there's a very little difference between the first time an invocation happens and future invocations. And we do some intelligent hot pooling type stuff that that makes that possible or we have like a warm pool of instances that we can grab from very quickly so that we're not waiting for those instances uh to start up but anyway from a historical perspective when we built this this was before lambda shipped 
So when WebTask became public as a standalone thing, which is basically we took that technology that we were using within Auth0 and we exposed it to the outside world as a thing you could try out. That was right. actually quite early that that was done. Um, and uh, so we were, we were really out there even before Lambda, not to say that we're bigger than uh, AWS, but AWS is certainly the elephant uh, in mm -hmm. the room in the work <laughs> they've done yeah. around serverless. Um, so that's really what we are. So we now... Um, so we're a platform for running code that runs in an isolate, you know, untrusted code in an isolated manner. You can scale it up. You can write it very easily. Um, one thing I would say that we really optimize on too is things that run in a request lifecycle. So a lot of the other serverless platforms that are out there have focused a lot of attention on backend kinds of things, integration with other services. Like if I'm doing Lambda, you know, I'm, I'm using AWS. Um, I have, uh, you know, S3 and I'm already using S3 and I need a way to process events off F S3. So I set up a Lambda that is kind of on the back end and receiving notifications from S3. Mm. With WebTask, a lot of these interactions are even getting initiated from a browser, like the login scenario. Mm. Um, so we've really focused on webhooks. Like every WebTask that you create is automatically a webhook. And so you don't have to jump through any kind of hoops to make that webhook experience possible. Yeah. So that that's that's really a place that that we focus and that, you know, you want to build now webhooks can be used for back end integration, but generally that's back end with like third party type services. Mm -hmm. Like maybe I'm using Twilio and I'm sending an SMS message and I want to do some kind of handling of those SMS messages. Well, you Twilio allows you to plug in a webhook URL. What's on the other side of that webhook? Well, that's a one place where WebTask fits in really, really well, hmm. is to be that other side of the webhook. What is the relationship between uh, WebTask and Node? Ah, that's a great question. Um, so the primary authoring language for WebTask is with Node.js. So you're writing your tasks in JavaScript. Now, one of the other things we focused a lot on is we want, because we were really hitting on this kind of uh, scripty extensibility of apps, we really don't want to push you to have to go to an editor or packaging things up. Um, you know, some of the other platforms out there, as soon as you, you start having to mess with more configuration files and, and, and packaging and other kinds of things... Mm. Which, which offers, you know, there's reasons why that makes sense. I'm not putting those down. Um, with WebTask, we, we put a lot of effort into a really rich browser-based editor experience. Yeah. So back in the day, you've heard of like, well, Cloud9's still around. Actually, they got acquired, I think, by Amazon. Um, we have a really rich browser-based authoring experience for writing WebTask, and we give you a large amount of the most commonly used node modules out of the box available. Wow. So you can just require them. You don't even have to put a package.json. So like if I want to build that Twilio integration where basically let's imagine I'm invoking WebTask and then I wanted to send send an SMS message to Twilio. Well, I need to use the Twilio node module. Well, that's available in the box. So I just go right into a JavaScript file in our web-based editor, or I can use my own editor, and, and we use have CLI tools and GitHub integration, so mm -hmm. you can go that path as well. Mm -hmm. What about source management when you're working in the cloud like this? So we have GitHub integration with our editor. That's what I was just kind of mentioning. Mm -hmm. So what you can do is you can bind your tasks to a GitHub repo. This is fairly recent. Like I think it's within the last six months that we rolled this out. Um, so you can basically say that, you know, my task is bound to this repo and this branch. Right. And you can have multiple tasks in that repo. And you can even do kind of the prod uh, test, uh, you know, the, the dev test prod workflow with that model because mm, right. you could actually have different versions of the same task that are bound to different branches. Okay. So then you can just do the GitHub workflow to move between the branches and promote to even different, quote, environments. So hmm. it feels like you're almost creating that Heroku experience of I check code in and there's automation to flow it right through to a running state. 
Oh, that absolutely we we are doing, and that and that's going to get better. Um, one thing we've done that's interesting though is our web-based editor actually goes bi-directionally with GitHub as well. So hmm. if you and 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 if you go into our web-based editor and you set up GitHub integration, we give you two options. One is that commits are direct. The other is that it will actually generate a pull request automatically, which hmm. is pretty cool too. So wow. if you don't want to, like let's say you want to allow people, you just have your task bound to the master branch, you still don't have to be worried that every single time somebody puts a commit that it will um, you know, just go directly to master. It can do like a pull request model um, so that, you know, it still goes to master, but it goes to master as a pull request. So until it's approved and merged, it's not actually going to deploy. So yeah, we care a lot about the GitHub flow. Um, and that, you know, that's definitely one of the places. So when we look at, I think for web task, you know, we're certainly not the scale of, you know, Google and, and, and AWS and all that. We don't own all the cloud infrastructure. We use the cloud infrastructure. Sure. But where we differentiate is on experience. Mm. We put massive attention into having just a really simple, fluid developer experience. And, and that is really what our value is. And if I want to have my on-prem dev and, and things like that, I still can integrate into this easy enough. Like just when, I, when I'm ready to push code up, it it goes to up through webtask.io and continues the same totally. thing. Totally. Totally. And we actually have, if you install our webtask CLI, we actually have uh, a serve CLI command that you can use to run your webtasks locally for development. And recently, and this was my first feature since I joined, um, so I'm a coding product manager still, <laughs> I, um, I added node debugging in. Um, so if you do, nice. if you download our CLI, you can do WT debug and you can use visual studio code, which by the way, I have to plug. That is an awesome node based editor. I, I literally didn't think it would happen, but I've dropped sublime, uh, for node development to use VS code and the debugging. It's just superb. So with, with our, um, with our debug command, you can run your task locally and you can use WT debug to launch it and then you can attach to it. You can step through debug. That's cool. Yeah. So we, we have the local, um, environment. We also have the ability as a product to even run on prem. Uh, what's a little bit different about us in that world is that we still run as a managed service. So, you know, I came from Splunk where we have an enterprise product that huge companies use that they run, they run in their own environment. But to run it in their own environment, they basically have to build up Splunk operational staff and, you know, they, they, they hire Splunk to bring, uh, you know, Splunk uh, employees like their sales engineers in well, to help no them. No difference than what so. you had to do with TFS too, right? Like any of these big development infrastructure deployments internally – they're hard work and it's very yes. actually I think it's kind of easy to mess it up like you, you you're not actually making the situation better exactly so we run it for you now there's a cost associated with that but it's all about where does the you know you would have those costs anyway yeah instead of those yeah. costs getting invested in your own 24/7 operational staff <laughs> you basically now you have to give us access. But we literally have customers that are running Odd Zero and WebTask right in their environments, but it's run as a managed service, but we just offer the flexibility that that managed service can be wherever you want it to be. It can be in your, it could be in Azure, it could be in, uh, you know, uh, it, of course it could be in AWS, it, it could be in Google Cloud, it could be running on a VM box in your own, you know, your own local data center, we don't care. Nice. Um, you know, but obviously there's a cost there, but but it's also a benefit. Well, you start we you you start at the tier of free, but that's only for two containers and one request a second per container. Yep. And yep. then then you go up from there as you use yeah. it more and do more and want more and need to customize more. 
Right. So if you're trying to use us as so one of the places, you know, we've seen a bunch of interesting use cases. It's probably worth mm-hmm. talking quickly about the use cases for web tests that we've seen. Like first, we have our own use cases. So the first one I told you about, which was the rules, yep. which was giving customers the ability to extend our product and write their own logic. Another place where we've seen web tests getting used, you know, and you, another buzzword that you hear a lot about along with serverless is like microservices. Yep. Um, is that companies are looking and, and Auth0 uses web task to extend web ta- uh, to extend Auth0. So we have a full, uh, w- we needed a way to be able to quickly add functionality to Auth0. And what we found was once web task was in place, we actually were able to build an extensibility model on top of it for our product yeah. that allows our own engineers to add new functionality you know, and it kind of keeps to the whole open-close principle thing. Mm-hmm. The idea that they can now just add services, essentially, which are web tasks, that become new capabilities within the product. And so that's another place where, you know, just organizational agility is a place where we're seeing uh, a lot of interest in web tasks. Like, we can use this on our own engineering team to just move faster, delivering functionality for our app. Nice. Not to mention that we can open that up to our own customers and partners. Those are the best um, kinds I, of products. Another use case is just glue code. So we have, like, in this SaaS world that we're living in, right, more and more companies are completely dependent on out, you know, they outsource everything. You outsource sure. HR, ticketing, uh, you know, support, whatever, whatever you can think of. Um, so a lot of, you know, like internally, for example, at Auth0, we use Intercom, which is a service that we use for communicating with customers when mm. they have questions or give us feedback. We use Zendesk mm. for ticketing. Um, and we wanted to do some integration um, you know, we do integration between those things in some cases, or Slack is another really popular one. Yep. So you want to integrate from Zendesk to Slack so that every time there's a, uh, you know, Zendesk ticket filed, it's going to send a Slack message, but maybe you don't want all Zendesk tickets to go. You just want to do some, you need some filtering logic some between logic, them. Yeah. So web task becomes a really simple way to just string things together and have some custom logic in between. Very and cool. We've used it heavily that way within our own company, but we see lots of customers uh, that are really just using us for a simple glue code to attach different services together. And what's nice is the protocols don't have to be the same. So imagine like on one side you have a service that is using, okay, we'll go back to SOAP, right? It's SOAP-based. It doesn't understand webhooks. It doesn't have a, know anything about webhooks. Right. And on the other side, you've got a service like Zendesk that can post to webhooks. Great. You can put a web task in the middle that will take that HTTP call and translate that into a SOAP call against that other service. So that you know that that fact that it doesn't have to just be HTTP mm. and it can provide that transformation in the middle. But in a very developer-centric way. Because as soon as I say that, you'll say, oh, well, there's other products that are out there that do that. There are, and a lot of those products focus more on IT or you know, even non-developers. I mean, if you go to Zapier, for example, Zapier.com has lots of integrations. Yeah, that's and a they say, basic cause and effect uh, platform. And they say right there that this is for non-technical right. users. Here's my so input, where, here's my output, do that, yeah. Exactly, but you're constrained, obviously, yep. because but but it's fine because you're not a developer, so you're mm. you know anything they can give you is better than nothing. Right. Well, where we're going after, and like the use cases I'm talking about for Glue Code, are where hey, I'm a developer, I don't want to be constrained. Right. I just, but I also don't want to have to deal with deploying all these servers yeah, all the and plumbing. manage. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's perfect. Hold that thought, because Richard, you know what time it is? Must be that happy time again. Yeah, that's right. It's time to give the very calm and subdued Glenn Block a new adjective. Ready? Oh. Fervorless. Fervorless. <laughs> Without fervor. <laughs> Lacking in fervor. <laughs> no ferv. Do I need to do I need to tone it up? Is my energy level too low right now? <laughs> it's actually time to give away a Sync Fusion Essential Studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. 
But first, let me tell you what we like about SyncFusion. They have over 650 components for web, desktop, and mobile applications, including great native Xamarin controls. They even have enterprise solutions with a dashboard designer and big data platform. Best of all, they're affordable. It's one flat fee for everything, everyone in the company. No hassle, no gimmicks, and you really do get every application with no restrictions. Check them out at SyncFusion.com or look them up on Facebook to see how you can get started today. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Andrea Nichols. Congratulations, Andrea. Golf clap for you. It might be Andrea. I'm not sure. We haven't spoken. I just read her name. But uh, anyway, Andrea uh, gets the SyncFusion Essential Studio. Compliments of SyncFusion. And uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December... Hey, isn't it December 1st? Every December, we're giving away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And you... Well, it's too late for this year because we're announcing the winner on Thursday's show on 1391. So you want to stick around for that show. And that's yes. going to be with Jules Kramer from Google. So it'll be a great show. And uh, Glenn, it's your turn. If you had five grand to spend on technology today, what would you buy? You know, I thought hard about <laughs> 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 I didn't hang up on him. He just the <laughs> That's comedy gold right there. <laughs> That's one for the blooper reel. Yep. You thought hard about it all right. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I'm out of here. <laughs> you don't want to know what I just did. <laughs> that sounded really funny from our perspective. <laughs> I thought long and bloop. <laughs> you don't want to know what I just did. What did you do? I got all this, like, I have all this, like, spam of Skype. And I was like, as you were talking, I'm like browsing and I'm seeing all these crappy messages coming in. I'm like, oh, I just logged out. (laughs) 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 I was like, oh, what did I just do? (laughs) Oh, my God. That's a good one. That was brilliant. That's the first time that happened. Uh, I'm, I'm tempted uh, we just leave that in and give the listeners a laugh because that was the that's comedy gold right there. Um, well, let's ask you again, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful this time. Don't get too excited. <laughs> it was so amazing that it brought down the internet. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, if you had five grand to spend on technology, what would you buy? Okay, so what I was trying to say was I thought hard about this, and I was like, you know, I got all the gadgets I need, so... That's but, just crazy talk right there. <laughs> it is It is kind of crazy, but, you know, like, I recently got an Oculus. I could go get a Vive. I have yep. a really nice... Uh, nice uh hd i mean 4k hd very large tv you can always get more computers but here's what i think i'm gonna say my five thousand dollars would go towards buying jewel bots ah. yeah so, yeah tell so, everybody what jewel bots are for those who don't know jewel bots are friendship bracelets so jewel bots is a startup um, that uh, Sarah Chips, who you guys probably have heard of, who, who her, was yeah. one of, founder of uh, Girl Develop It, is also the CEO. And it is really trying to bring STEM, uh, which was mentioned in my bio, to, uh, to, young, to young girls. Great. And they're basically programmable bracelets. Uh, the geek factor, they have Arduinos inside of them. Mm. And you can, uh, you can, and the way they work is like, 
when you're near your friends, the jewel bots will light up with a different color uh, to indicate that your friends are nearby. Um, and you can customize so that you have different colors for different friends. But the part that's really interesting is the fact that it's an Arduino and you can use Arduino's IDE to program them is that this is the goal is really to attract more girls at a young age to get into coding. And I have one in my house. My daughter's 12 years old and she's actually been um, one of the one of the uh, uh, Jewelbot's ambassadors. So she's been involved early, trying them out, and we've been giving them feedback. And uh, it's really, really cool uh, and really exciting stuff. I don't think anybody's doing what she's doing, and it's getting a lot of uh, attention. It actually just finally shipped, and they were uh, they're available in Target. They're available online. Um, really, really cool. So that would be my thing. I would. Take my five thousand dollars, and now I'm sitting here thinking: Should I really spend five thousand dollars to do You're that? Just thinking how many because they're inexpensive. Like how many of that is there? Well, two of them are like. Well, no, I'm thinking: bucks. Would my wife actually like kill me if I really went and spent five thousand dollars? Well, I'm sitting here. It's not your like money. Saying, we're, we're giving you the money, so <laughs> you get right. three but, for two hundred bucks. So. 30, yeah, but are you actually, you're not actually giving me the money. So now I'm like, that would ah. be a good thing if I really did it, but my wife would kill me. So you'd be, it'd be, you'd be about 75 of them. So there you go. Yep. You could, so anyway, a yeah. couple of classrooms worth. That's what I would do. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. And I, I, I think it's very exciting work. Uh, the, and I love, I love what they're doing. I just bought a couple right now for my 14 year old for Christmas. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, yep. my work is done then. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we got to have Sarah on to talk about this because it's a great story. We will indeed. Yeah. It is. And she is amazing. I mean, her whole story is amazing. But but yeah, the the, the work that she's doing now is just, uh, it's, it's great. Fantastic. Um, so... Um, I, there was one other thing I wanted to talk about. We were, we were talking about all these tools and mm. how people are using WebTask for glue code. Right. Yeah. And I mentioned, I mentioned Slack. Yes. So that's particularly interesting because one of the things that we recently did was we, we shipped this thing for WebTask called Slash WebTask. And so what Slash WebTask allows you to do is author custom Slack commands hmm. as WebTasks. But what's really cool about it, so if you go to, um, well, well, we'll share the link on our, on our site for, for Slack. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you install this Slack app, you get a command that allows you to author and edit um, custom Slack commands wow. right from within Slack itself. So you install this app and then you do slash WT make and you give it a name, and it throws you into our editor right from Slack, That's and you cool. get to author that command. And so why this is really interesting is with, with Slack, I mean, ChatOps has been around a while, this idea of, you know, bots deploying infrastructure from chat with bots, yeah. but it's really starting to make a comeback uh, in a bigger way, because um, Slack has just made it so easy, and they're not the only ones. Uh, HipChat supports this as yeah, well, yeah. that you can basically have a webhook on the other side, but it gets back to that uh, problem I was talking about earlier, which is like, okay, but to put one of these up, I basically am managing my own service. Mm -hmm. I have to deploy the server, run it, blah, 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 blah. And that prevents you from, you know, doing a lot of things that you might feel would be valuable, but the cost is just too high. So with Slash WebTask, we're really trying to, uh, you know, re lower that barrier significantly, lower the cost, and just make it really easy for teams to be able to automate their infrastructure. And at Odd Zero, we're really big on chat ops. We're using it for everything. I mean, we're like deploying all of our servers, we're managing our health, we're, we're reading from our line of business systems and our data warehouse. We're doing all of that mm. right from within Slack, which is, which is pretty amazing. Um, and so once we launched Slash WebTask internally, our own people started going crazy off of it. They're like mm. building all kinds of things. People that weren't even developers are jumping in and learning enough just to try to, you know, build some automation that they can use from from Slack. So it's really, really cool stuff. It's it's free to get yeah. started with and use it. Um, There's some tools that you guys use that some of our listeners may not be um, familiar with, although they've been around a long time, like Cron is one. Can you yep. just give the uninitiated a, a, a elevator speech about Cron? 
Yeah, so cron is just a way to run code on a schedule. Mm-hmm. But uh, so cron has been around a long time in the Linux world. You know, you can you. It's just a way to run. You know, like if you have a Linux box, you or, or you can do this with Mac as well. You want to run something on a timer. You want to run a. Generally, you're running a script like mm-hmm. a Bash script or something like that mm-hmm. that you schedule. And so cron brings that to web tasks. So it's essentially a web task that runs on a schedule. Cool. I guess there's a, a command line at, right, Richard, that uh, IT people on the Microsoft side use, like at such and such do this. Yeah, we no, we have our own task scheduler. So there, yeah. there's always a scheduler somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is, you know, the thing about this is this is a scheduler that lives in the cloud. Or if you're, um, you know, a private instance customer of WebTask, you have like your own um, scheduler, but you know, it's, it's, it's just what's, what's nice about it, I think, is once you understand web task and how to use it, you can then take that exact same experience, developer experience in terms of our editor and everything else and create, um, cron, cron tasks. Yeah. So how do containers work out? If I, if I don't have a server, how come I have something that kind of looks like a server and smells like a server, but it's just faster than a server? Okay. So, Serverless is not saying that there are no servers. <laughs> what serverless really is saying, right? It's not it's all a it's pile of lies. Means you don't it's have to configure a server. Dust. Well, it's more about your, you know, your perception. It's about perception. It's about management. Mm. There, there are servers, but they're servers that you don't worry about. You Got know, it. for example, when I make a telephone call, right? I use the phone, and I don't. I, I generally shouldn't have to worry about what is uh, what is happening uh, in terms of the communication between my device and the other devices, right? Kind right. of, it just works. Except so when I it think doesn't. That <laughs> sometimes it does not, exactly, <laughs> except when it doesn't. Um, so I think, yes, there's absolutely servers there, but from from your perspective, you know, just like PaaS abstracts you away from the server and all you really worry about is the application, or at least that's the intent, mm. Um, it's the similar idea here, yeah. but yes, there, there, there absolutely are servers that are running somewhere, but your code really shouldn't be aware of them and shouldn't be worrying about them. So how much Docker configuration do I have to do? Well, if you're using web, you know, you, you don't do any okay. because that's just a Docker is just an implementation detail. That's just what so, you guys do in the back. Well, so when yeah. you're seeing our documentation about containers, that's important. Let me just mention that because right, I, I right. think you might have ran across that. Containers in, uh, we have a logical concept of a container. Mm-hmm. A container is a unit of isolation. Again, like I said, we're very different than a lot of the other uh, uh, FAS providers that are out there. Um, so, we have this concept of a container where multiple tasks may end up running in the same Docker container. We get some efficiencies in doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, what containers do in, 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 in web tasks is they allow you to logically say that these two pieces of code will never run. They'll, you know, like if you're doing multi-tenancy, yeah. you might want to say that each customer has their own container. Just to so keep that separate. there's no way that their code exactly has any visibility to one another. They're not going to be running in the same process, right. et cetera. Yeah. Um, that, that's what's a little bit different about us in terms of our optimization toward, you know, so if you're running in a company where you've got a whole bunch of rules that don't have that tenancy requirement, um, there's a lot of benefit in them all running in the same container. That container spins up once and all those tasks are then right. uh, available. So. Yeah, so that's kind mm. of the that's what that container means. Okay, it doesn't necessarily mean Docker container, even though it's a little bit confusing. Even though behind the scenes, a container does generally correspond to one or more Docker containers, but that's mm-hmm. an implementation detail, and so you don't need to know anything about Docker to use WebTask. Okay, all right, cool. And you also brought up Heroku several times, as if you were defending it's not Heroku, but you know that just leads me to ask the question because <laughs> it's on their mind. I mean, listeners are saying, okay, it sounds like Heroku, but wh- how do you guys differentiate yourself? And I know that you, you've already answered this among many detailed answers, but 
But if you had to sort of narrow it down to somebody comes up to you in the elevator and says, yeah, we checked out WebTask, but Heroku's better. I mean, which is a kind of a silly statement, but <laughs> tell us how you would respond to that. Sure. Well, and of course, this doesn't apply only to Heroku. Uh, you know, we could say the same thing for Azure websites. Yep. Um, and and in the Azure side, you could say, well, then how is Azure websites different than Azure Functions? Right. Because it's the same cloud provider that's offering two different things. Or in AWS, you could say, well, how is this different than Elastic Beanstalk? How is Lambda different than <laughs> Elastic Beanstalk? So it, it's a fair question. Yeah. Um, what I would say is that. Um, when you work in those worlds, uh, like when you work with Heroku, you're thinking about the concept of an app. An app is a container of multiple things. You have a bunch of configuration that you have to deal with. Um, you're, you're essentially writing a server. If I write a Heroku app and I use Node, I have to deal with this proc file. I have to tell it this is a Node app. I have to have a server.js that spins up my Node server, listens on the right port. I do a similar thing if I go with Azure websites. Mm. I, I actually you know, write a full-fledged Node server that has to listen and all of these other things. Mm -hmm. um, what I would say is the primary difference is when you come into this uh, FAS world, function as a service or serverless world, you're just thinking about very fine-grained units of code. There's no necessarily higher level deployment container that Got you it. have to like configure and think about. Um, you don't have the concept necessarily of an application. It's, it's, it's just a ton of fine-grained things that you can very easily deploy. And most you can group them together if you want to, though. That's the important thing is that you don't have to. You can have this function that just exists out there as its own thing with no dependencies and nothing, or sure. you can take them and group them together to make more complex things. Exactly. And, and yes, so you can do that. Um, but the other thing is they scale independently. And that's yeah. another key differentiator. So if I have a Heroku API and let's generally like I might have like 50 API endpoints, for example, that we're running in a Heroku app. Mm. Well, when that app scales, it scales all of those 50 endpoints. Got it. All those 50 endpoints are listening and there's resources that are being used. Whereas, Whereas if you have one that's really getting hammered, you can scale that one and leave the other guys uh, to, you know, at an appropriate level of scale. The idea of serverless, right? Things scale to what is needed um, as opposed to, you know, having this higher level container where you're... And, and those other models force you to do a lot of upfront thinking. Um, not to say that you don't do upfront thinking in the serverless <laughs> world. It doesn't, it doesn't Thinking is way. bad. But, but there are certain <laughs> types of decisions that you don't have to yeah. architect for upfront. Like in that world, you might say, well, if we know these APIs are really going to get hit, let's split them out as their own app so we can scale that app and monitor it uh, independently. Um, those kind of questions you don't necessarily have to ask or, or make those decisions upfront um, in a serverless world. And At least that's that's the theory. Okay. And what are what are our storage options other than, you know, having services that wrap stores and things like that? But sure. What do you have anything built in? We do. That's a great question. Great leading question. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, my job, man. Have we met? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so WebTask gives you a couple of things. You have the concept of secrets. That's been something that is very first class in WebTask because a very common pattern in terms of the glue uh, is is using WebTask for like um, spas where you have like a JavaScript front end. And let's say you want to talk to Twilio, but yeah. you don't want your Twilio credentials in the front end. You right. can actually just have a WebTask. It talks to Twilio and then you're not revealing any leaking any details about Twilio or even that Twilio exists sure. to the, to the browser-based front end. So you can use secrets, uh, which are stored in a secure manner and available to your um, application. And then what we have is a very small document store, which is backed actually by MongoDB behind the scenes. Um, but if your web task has some state um, that it needs to store, um, it can do that uh, using our built-in um, storage API, which hangs off of our context object. Now, it's a single document store. So you can put whatever you want in it, but it doesn't have key value access. It's it's pretty much like you get the blob. And we put a limit on how big it is. I think it's 500K 
Um, so you're not going to be using it for like a, you know, a huge database. It's, 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 it's more for transient type of state that you might want to keep. Um, and we support concurrency on that. So if multiple try to write to it at the same time, you can put in the handling that will, you know, allow the task to know that, Hey, somebody else uh, wrote to this. So I need to kind of refresh to merge the data. Uh, So we, so we give you that ability, but yeah, we have our storage API, which, uh, which is very usable. Awesome, dude. This is cool stuff. Very so cool. many possibilities. I mean, it, it almost like you're taking it, it, one of the things you can do here is if this, then that, right. but in a lot more of a contained way. Well, in a developer, I would say in a very developer friendly way that yeah. doesn't require you to be dealing with, you know, UI metadata markup you know that that kind of thing it's mm. it's it's all in the code we we use this phrase you know we 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 emphasize a lot of web task being about you know show me the code get me to the code zero to code is a phrase that that i like to use as well you know like you go from zero to code very very quickly right. uh with 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 web task one other thing i just wanted to mention there's always one other thing with me uh-huh. is we have this really interesting notion in web tasks called compilers. And so what compilers allow you to do is um, we've used this, for example, to introduce C sharp. You can introduce your own languages to web task. We have an extensibility point that allows you to basically say, I'm taking an incoming file. I need to convert it into JavaScript coming out. So it has to at least get converted to JavaScript. But wow. we haven't really explored the full potential of what you could do with this because I think you could use it for even DSLs, like industry-specific DSLs. Like imagine you were going into certain domains like uh, risk management and you wanted to have a DSL for uh, that, that, that would get used in this space that uses the vernacular and terminology mm. that people are used to. Um, so we have that ability, and it's literally just a JavaScript function that takes an input source file and outputs a JavaScript function. And huh. we've used this to allow C-sharp authoring of web tasks. Now, we don't have a great – we don't have a packaging story for C-sharp, but you can actually write web tasks in C-sharp as long as you're working with kind of the core stuff that's available in the framework – um, and you can you can, and this uses Edge, by the way, which Tomek wrote. So you won't yeah. Necessarily so these are, be these are transpilers. You guess I guess you'd call them right. They take it's 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 kind of a transpiler. Yeah, that's a way to think about it. Yeah. Um, though it can do more because it can execute code and other okay. things. So there's there's some um, we we see compilers as also being a way to add a pipeline of middleware mm-hmm. to web task itself. Mm. Like we have the ability to actually write web tasks that have multiple routes. That's another difference. So we've had people writing almost like express microservices. Yeah. You can write an express app as a web task where huh. that web task now has multiple routes. We use that for our auth zero extensibility story because. You can actually have web tasks that return UI. That's another place that we're different. Like we have web tasks where you hit one route and it actually returns for you some HTML. Um, so it's it's, and we need to go further in really telling this story because there's a yeah. lot more that you can do with web tasks that that I think we can do better at telling and which can open up a number of really really interesting uh, use cases. But yeah, if you check out compilers, they're they're really simple and you can even have a compiler as a gist. So, like, you can just have a gist that has this JavaScript function, and then you can, uh, when you create your web task, you can specify the URL of that compiler, and that will get sucked down, right, uh, when the web task gets created. Um, And so, this allows the community to really easily play with compilers. We need some blog posts on on that. We do have have documentation. If you go to our uh, webtest.io website, you'll see some documentation on compilers. Worldwide code pointer. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Glenn, uh, should we talk a little bit about Auth0? Sure. Uh, I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, um, but yeah, I mean, what what Auth0 is, is it's really a service that makes it really, really simple to um, basically secure your applications um, and support different types of logins. So we support social login. Like, let's say you have a mobile app. You want to allow people to log in with Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can do that kind of thing with Auth0, but 
where we where we also really get interesting is we support all different types of enterprise level identity, uh, including enterprise SaaSes like uh, Salesforce. Like, let's say you want to have an app where you allow people to log in with their Salesforce ID. You can do that uh, with uh, with Auth Zero, um, and you can also integrate with other identity providers. So let's say like, you know, this gets into kind of the single sign-on type scenario. So let's say your company is using uh, LDAP. Um, and actually one really big customer that we just signed, which we're allowed to talk about, is um, Atlassian. Mm-hmm, so nice. Atlassian is now using us for all their identity needs. Um, and so if you're a uh, an Atlassian customer and you want to integrate your own identity uh, that you use within your company so that people can log in, you can actually do that uh, through uh, through integration via Auth0. So it's a, a single sign-on solution that goes across all these. It's, sub- it's 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 more than that, but single sign-on is definitely one of the places where cool. we hit. Um, I think you know a lot of the a lot of the there are many providers out there that are focused mostly on kind of line of business apps mm-hmm. where we really hit on the, also the, you know, I'm a custom app developer who just has my own app and I want to support identity. And another big thing is how developer friendly we are in terms of the customization side. The fact that you can use like leveraging web task, you can write these custom rules. You don't have to jump through a lot of hoops to customize the backend and how it works. Um, and we focus a lot on developer experience. Like, cool. you know, it's, you have a JavaScript app. It's just literally like a couple of lines of code to secure that. And we have this widget called lock, which, uh, you know, pops up in your app and shows whatever identity providers that you've checked off should be enabled. Like if they want to use Google, they want to use Microsoft's login, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Those all show up and it's just really, really easy. Well, Glenn, thanks very much. It's been awesome talking to you. And this sounds like great stuff and uh, we're going to talk offline because I have a few more questions but uh, of course people can get to you on Twitter and uh, we'll, we'll have links to all of your stuff thanks again Glenn thank you guys All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a